Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you on this family worship service. Let's go ahead and pray and let's ask the Lord as we open up or continue opening up his word. May he speak to us and stir our hearts and our affections for him. Our Holy Father, I thank you for your incredible mercy and grace that you have lavished upon us. Lord, as we look to the cross, one of the things we see is that you are a faithful God, that you are faithful in keeping your promises. As we look at all the prophecies of the king who will be afflicted, but he will rescue his people. We see all of that being fulfilled in you, Lord Jesus, and we are reminded that we serve a faithful God, is faithful in keeping his promises. And so when we find ourselves going through difficult times, we find ourselves going through the valleys and the trials, Lord, we can look to the cross knowing that you are faithful. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, open up our ears, our hearts, our minds, stir our affection. May it not just be words that stimulate our minds, but may it be words that pierce into our hearts. And those who are far away from you, may you draw them in as you open up their eyes so that they may respond in faith, believing, Lord Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Rescuer, the Savior that have saved us from the judgment of God and delivered us and paid our ransom. And those who are near to you, Lord, may they even draw nearer to you as they behold the wondrous beauties of the cross. So come, Lord, and speak to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John. And in verse 28, he makes a reference to Jesus' thirst and how the soldiers gave him sour wine to drink so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. And here we see another perfect fulfillment of messianic prophecy thousand years earlier. A thousand years earlier. Look at the third prophecy. If you're taking notes, the third prophecy is the prophecy of the bones. Look at verse 31. Since it was the preparation day, The Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who had been crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows he's telling the truth. For these things happen, and here's our phrase again, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierce. So we'll look at the prophecy of the bones. Verse 36 tells us these things happen. Why? so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And he's referring to the request by the Jewish leaders to break the legs of the three men hanging on the cross. In other words, let's expedite the process. Let's take their legs out so that their death can come faster and we can take them off the cross and be done with it. And so the soldiers, their job is to follow orders. 
They break the legs and yet they come to Jesus. And somehow they said he's already dead, but instead of just breaking his legs just for the hoot of it, they didn't do it. And what John tells us is this fulfills the prophetic word of David. Of David in Psalm 34, verse 19 to 20, it says this, One who is righteous had many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. In other words, what he's pointing to us is the Messiah is righteous and afflicted, and he would suffer, but not one of his bones would be broken. And though the soldier approached Jesus with a hammer in hand to crush the bones in his legs, he did not. And this fulfilled God's promise. The hammer did not strike, and the prophecy came true. And we also see a picture of Jesus being the Passover lamb. One of the regulations of observing the feast of the Passover lamb is not a bone of the lamb must be broken. We see this in Exodus 12, 46. So we see the fulfillment of the prophecy of the garment, of the drink, of the bones. And the third one, if you're taking notes, the prophecy of the piercing. The prophecy of the piercing. And so the soldier refrained from breaking Jesus' legs, but one of them decides to take a spear and thrust it into Jesus' side. And as the soldier pulls the spear back, blood and water gushes out of the womb. What does that signify to us? Jesus is a real man. Died a real death. Bodily fluids don't come out of spirits. They come from a body. He didn't fake his death. It's not a hoax. But more importantly, the piercing of his side is a prophecy fulfilled by Zechariah. Now, now the book of Zechariah is the message that a Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will deliver his people from captivity. And this Messiah would not only be a priest, but also a king. And this king will perfectly obey the will of God. But near the end of the imagery, near the end of the book, we also find the imagery of the Messiah now changes from the king to a good shepherd. That God would deliver his people through the Messiah, through the righteous king and this good shepherd... But God's people will reject the shepherd and follow evil shepherds. And God, through the prophet Zechariah 12, verse 10, says this, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me whom they pierce. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. The one who brings salvation will be pierced by the nation of Israel. And this is the fulfillment of the spear of the Roman soldier whom the Jews employ, penetrate Jesus' side, and blood pours out. Okay, now that I rushed through the text and gave you all the fulfillment of the prophecy, you're like, oh, that's nice. What does that mean? What does it have to do with faith? Okay, let's talk. Here's what's happening. What's John doing? John is telling us, hey guys, look. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the divided garment. I saw the sour wine. I saw the unbroken legs. I saw the pure sight. I saw each one. 
And I'm not telling you this so that you can think I'm really smart. I'm not telling this for your entertainment. I'm telling you this why. What's a phrase we saw throughout the text? I'm telling you this so that you will know that Scripture has been fulfilled. So that you will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 35 again. Because that's what he's saying in verse 35. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows he's telling the truth. For these things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Each fulfillment of prophecy should strengthen our faith in the promise of God to deliver us from death and judgment through His Son. In other words, here's two applications that I think we can apply to our lives. When it comes to the cross of Christ, the very first thing that we can apply that John is showing us, the cross of Christ should invoke faith. It should invoke faith. We shouldn't look at the cross of Christ as simply a moment in history. We shouldn't look at the cross of Christ as just a really sad story or an inspiring story. Like the gospel writers didn't record it as a memento to share with their grandkids. It's not a folk's tale. Why did they write these accounts? They write these accounts so that people would read them and respond to them by believing in Jesus Christ. And one of the things we have to guard against is we should not look at the cross carelessly or callously, but we should look at the cross as it invokes faith because at the cross of Christ, we are reminded that God is faithful in keeping His promises. Because what does the cross indicate? It indicates to us who God is as He displayed His righteousness, His love, and His justice, and His wrath, and that He is faithful in keeping His promise. The entire Old Testament is talking about God's promises of a Savior coming. And when we come to the Gospels, what do we find? All of these promises are yes in Jesus Christ. God is faithful. So when we look to the cross, when we read the narrative of the cross, it should invoke in us faith. But faith in who? Faith in God being faithful that Jesus did accomplish what he accomplished on my behalf. So when I find myself drifting and I find myself doubting my salvation or fearing that I'm losing things or things are unraveling or falling apart or wondering where in the world is God? Is God still faithful? Why is God allowing all of these things? What do I do? I stop and I look to the cross and then I'm reminded. God is faithful in keeping his promises. And that is what the cross serves. This is part of the reason why we celebrate communion every Sunday. Why? Because it points us to the cross. And it reminds us, hey guys, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life at times seems confusing. But look to the cross. We are reminded our God is is faithful it should reinforce in us our trust in him where he lavished his grace and his unending mercy on us and he displayed his love for us and he declared us righteous 
by the work of the cross. Not only should the cross of Christ invoke faith, but the second application is this, that the cross of Christ signifies the finished work of Christ. The cross of Christ should signify the finished work of Christ. Like something took place when Jesus died. Look at verse 30. It says this, When Jesus had received the sour wine, what did he say? It is finished. Well, maybe in some of your translations, it has been accomplished. What has been accomplished? Well, in John 17, verse 4, when Jesus was praying to the Father, he said, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What is the work that God gave him to do to to bring salvation to God's people? That's why John the Baptist, his mission was to announce the coming of the Messiah. And when he saw the Messiah in John chapter 1 verse 29, what did he say? Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus' work as sin bearer, as Savior is complete when he lays down his life on the cross. The sacrificial offering of his life completes the divine rescue mission. He is the Passover lamb who's been sacrificed once and for all. No more sacrifice is required. No more sacrifice is necessary. Like in the Old Testament, we we, we see the introduction of the sacrificial system. And if you really read it and push through it, like it is a bloody mess. Like I feel bad for those priests. Another sin, another sacrifice. Can it not be finished? This is so frustrating. So much blood has to be spilled. And you can imagine as the people are bringing their offerings and the the priests are slaughtering the animals, they're just reminded of the bloodiness of, of, of sin and what it requires, and yet not a single sacrifice is sufficient. And so then what do you have to do after every sacrifice? Sacrifice some more. Longing, can there be a sacrifice that can be sacrificed once and for all? And then Jesus came. And after Jesus sacrificed himself, what did he say? It's finished. It is done. It is complete. It is accomplished. There's no more sacrifice required. The penalty of our sin has been completely served. The price of redemption completely paid. The justice and wrath of God completely satisfied. The deliverance of sin completely secured. And when Jesus said it is finished, he meant the entire work of salvation was taken care of. Our redemption has been accomplished and applied. And understanding that truth motivates us to faith because that's the only response we have. What do you do when it's done? Nothing. There's nothing to do. How do you add to the cross? You can't, because what did Jesus say? It's finished. There's nothing to do. So the only thing you can do, which is not really doing anything, is respond in faith, believing that it is done. It is complete. 
But if our redemption was not finished, it was not complete, then we ought to do something. Then we either ought to earn it or complete it, whether it's taking communion or baptism or going on a pilgrimage or a Hail Mary or opening of a Bible here and there. Then we have to work. Then you have to hear every Sunday, hey guys, you're slipping up. You need to do better. You need to do more. There's lots of work to be done. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is it's complete. It is finished. There's nothing to be added to it. So what do we do? We respond in faith believing that what Christ has done for us is finished. It is sufficient. There's nothing I can do to add to it. There's nothing I can do to keep it or maintain it. My only response is I am trusting in the grace of God that has saved me. I believe in the promises of salvation. I put my faith in the Son that has purchased and completed my redemption. The only response to the gospel, the only response when we look to the cross, believing that what Christ has done for me is enough. Now, if we have to be honest, I feel like that's harder work than just to try to work our own salvation. Because what does it require for you to do? <laughs> it requires you to, to trust Jesus. And what do we all hate to do? Does anybody like trusting other people and relying on other people? Would you rather just take things in your own hands and do it? That's our nature. But what the gospel tells us is, no, you can't do anything about it. Christ has done everything for you. So what do you do? You look to him believing that what he's done for you is enough, is sufficient. There's nothing for you to add to that salvation. There's nothing that you can do to take away from that salvation because he was the sacrifice once and for all. So you respond in faith, not just once, but daily as you look to the cross, believing it's sufficient, it's enough, it is finished, my salvation is secure. And in a sense, that's hard work because we've got to trust the Lord. We find ourselves drifting, we find ourselves battling sin, we find ourselves temptation comes, we find ourselves fighting the thoughts of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me. And what do we do in the midst of it? Those are all lies. We force ourselves to look to the cross and say, no, what do I know about the cross? God is faithful. God declare his love for me. God displayed his righteousness. Christ's work on the cross is finished for me. His blood has washed away my sins. The new covenant I now have in Jesus Christ. My sin was exchanged for his righteousness and his righteousness was exchanged for my sin. And so I can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ as I trust him. Our only response to the cross is a response of faith where where. The blood-soaked sacrifice of Jesus has settled everything. Our hope, our confidence cannot be in ourselves. It can only be in Christ. Because it is only what Christ has done that has accomplished our salvation. And so as we get ready to sit at the table, we're reminded of the cross 
we receive these elements in faith, they don't do anything for our salvation because our salvation has already been secured. But what does it do? It stirs our hearts to trust in Him, that He is faithful, and what He has done for us is enough. So even when I feel myself constantly falling short of God's standards at times in sin and at times in rebellion and disobedience, I look to the cross. I'm reminded he has paid for my sins. The penalty has been paid for. The wrath has been satisfied. My redemption has been accomplished. And now I receive in gratitude saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for me. I trust that what you've done for me is enough and sufficient. There's nothing more for me to do. It is finished. And this is the task of a Christian. See, religion tells you do. The gospel tells you, in a sense, believe, rest, trust, And that should be the springboard of as we walk in pursuing holiness, as we're trusting him, as we're throwing off sin that so easily entangles us, as we run the race that's set before us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves he is faithful even when I find myself unfaithful. Isn't it incredible that God's faithfulness is not dependent on your faithfulness? Isn't it incredible when you read the narrative of the cross? Did Jesus die when we were at our best behavior? No, but actually at our very worst. Praise the Lord for these incredible truths. Be encouraged by these truths. And I'm not telling you these truths, just like John is not telling you these truths to amaze you or to bedazzle you or to make you think, but rather so that you will respond in faith. Whether if you are continue to believe, continue to believe. Whether you are not believing, I am pleading with you, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a crummy Savior. You cannot save yourself. You cannot deliver yourself. But we have an incredible Savior who has finished the work on your behalf. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to um, hand out these elements. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the finished work of the cross. Lord, help us not to look at the cross carelessly or callously, but may it invoke in us faith as we see how you, Lord, have been faithful to your promises, that you've laid down your life for us once and for all, that you've delivered us that you've paid our penalty, you have satisfied God's wrath and judgment, and our redemption has been accomplished. Lord, help us to rest in these truths in the midst of our struggle against sin. May we constantly behold you. Lord, in those that do not believe in you, that do not trust you, whose confidence are not in you but in self, can you open up their eyes Can you help them to realize, Lord, they are no savior whatsoever. They will never through their own work satisfy your wrath and your judgment for it deserves death. 
and that, Jesus, you died on their behalf. May these truths convict them and stir their hearts to respond to faith. As we continue to pray, just meditate on these truths, the finished work of Christ, and how the Lord is faithful in keeping his promises. That your penalty for your sin has been paid for. God's wrath and judgment has been satisfied. Your redemption redemption has been accomplished. There's nothing more for you to do. Ask the Lord to help you to receive. And may it not just be a head thing, but may it permeate in your heart as you understand with your head and your heart the significance of what Christ has done for you. And maybe ask the Lord to to stir in you a greater affection and gratitude for the cross, a sense of honest for the cross and the salvation that he has accomplished for you. And as we get ready to distribute these elements, we are receiving it by faith. We're eating it and we're drinking it because it it ministers to our senses as we look to the cross. And by receiving it and drinking, we're believing that what Christ has done for us is sufficient. The work is done. No more sacrifice is required. And so as you receive it by faith, you can thank the Lord and faith thank you for this incredible gift. For some of you that are struggling to believe or not believing, like I hate for you to take something and do something you don't believe in, just simply pass those elements. But what we are doing as Christians, we are proclaiming the Lord's death on our behalf, receiving it by faith, saying it is finished. What a salvation he has accomplished for us. Let's go ahead and distribute these elements. This uh, morning before service, I was reading our call to worship. I just want you to just listen to these words from our call to worship. Revelation 5, verse 6. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders... He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Here's my favorite part. He went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Who has the authority to take the scroll out of God's hand? Only the Lamb of God. And everybody watching this scene, this is how they respond. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sang a new song. 
you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased a people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. How did he do it? His body given to us. Eat it, receive it in remembrance of him. His blood shed for us. The new covenant we have, eat it, drink it in remembrance of him. Can you just take a moment and just praise the Lord in your own words? Thank him for the salvation that he has accomplished for you. That he has made you a kingdom and priest. And because of what he has done for you, we will reign on the earth forever. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord Jesus, that you are worthy to enter into the presence of God and take the scroll and open the seal. And you are worthy because of what you've accomplished on the cross. You laid down your life for us. Help us to believe. Help us to trust you. Believing that what you've done for us is sufficient enough so that we may bow down and worship you and say, what a Savior, what a salvation we have. And nothing can take that away from us. No amount of hardship, no amount of persecution. For our God is a faithful God. His mercy and grace has no end. And he lavishes on us his love because we are his children. That is the God we serve. And we thank you for all of that. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and can we worship our lamb who took away our sins?